Welcome to Voices of the Ancestors, where we explore Georgian polyphonic songs and the women who sing them. Hello and welcome to our second episode. The voices today are me, Holly Taylor-Zentz, my trusty co-pilot, Susan Thompson, and our very special guest, Jenny Barrett. Now, we wanted to hear from Jenny because she has been singing Georgian songs for 20 years, and she was introduced to this music by a teacher called Edisha Garakanidze, who you'll hear more about in the interview, and she learned from his son, Georgi, or Gigi for short. So that's why we're honoured to be launching this episode at the Batumi Folk and Church Music International Festival, which is in memory of Georgi, and it's in its 15th anniversary this year. So welcome to our listeners tuning in virtually from the festival, and indeed all our listeners, wherever you find yourself today. It was so good to hear Jenny's memories of travels in Georgia and time spent with Gigi. I hadn't realised that she learnt the bass to the song Vayangara from a recording of him singing. So when Jenny sang Vayangara back in 2011 for the visit of the head of the Georgian Orthodox Church, she was feeling a direct link with her teacher, Gigi. And for me, that's what Voices of the Ancestors is all about. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being our guest. Hello, Holly, and hello, Susan. It's it's great to be here and join you. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'm Jenny Barrett. I'm a bit nearer, older than younger. I live here in Cambridge on my own. I have a part-time partner who visits occasionally. I've got children and grandchildren, but I'm also still working more or less part-time, I guess, as a psychotherapist. Now in, in lockdown, it's on Zoom, so I'm having to get quite technically skilled, which I'm not very. So I love singing, I love dancing, and I love swimming in rivers and the sea. Yes, those are my passions. Excellent. Fantastic. <laughs> and you, you've been singing recently, despite um, lockdown, right? I have indeed. So I'm somebody who actually can't stop singing. I sing all the time, quietly under my breath. And sometimes I'm quite surprised when other people can hear me. And one of my friends once told me that I came with my own musical accompaniment, which I think was a compliment. Um, but yes, yeah, so I really, really love singing. 
and that's been part of my life always, but now focused on the Georgian singing particularly because it just reaches parts that others can't reach, I think, in some way. And uh, so with lockdown and not being able to go out to the choirs that I'm part of, that felt really difficult because doing it on Zoom just isn't the same. I mean, it's lovely to see familiar faces and that you get just a sort of echo of what it can really be. So as soon as things opened up a little bit, I started to meet with actual people from the various choirs. And so I've met in my garden, just three of us singing in a trio. I've met in somebody else's garden, another trio. I've met in the river. We went and swam in the river and sang in the river hanging onto a tree. And last night we met in the garden and it was raining and we put all our waterproofs on and it was really very dismal and wet. So then we cycled to a nearby underpass, which is filled with graffiti, and uh, but has nice bright lights so we could sort of see. And we, you know, we recorded a few numbers in that nice resonant space with a few shocked people cycling through on their bicycles or jogging through. <laughs> That's just brilliant. <laughs> so, yes, it's feeling more normal, you know, because I am actually being able to sing with real people. And that's just great. What songs were you singing with them? Well, with different ones, we have our different repertoires, I suppose. So I was singing with Spike and Lily last night and we've, we particularly like singing some of the church chants. Um, Dres Sagtoman Madelman we sang. Um, what did we sing? We sang Zlie um, Stiroda, actually, that rather sad, mournful one. So just for our listeners who might not know about different types of Georgian songs, you mentioned chants there. What's the difference between a chant and a folk song? And what are the different types of songs? Would you mind explaining? Yes. Well, in, as far as I'm aware, then the chants are more formal. But I mean, why I like them is because when you're singing in a trio, each part is quite interesting. And some of the other songs, the bass may have more of a drone quality. But in the chants, often the bass part can be quite interesting and be moving as well. They, they're quite complex. And so they work really well with three voices because it doesn't, you know, there's just three of you trying to keep together rather than several people on a part. And then the folk songs, which are more jolly and rather various, well, actually, often the ones that sound terribly jolly are all about terribly sad things, about death and loss and longing for the homeland or whatever. And, yes, yeah, so there's very beautiful folk songs, old, old ones, but then there's also the more modern city songs, and I do rather like some of those, which are more recently composed and, um, yes, are, are lovely in their own way. Mm. Yes, I love the concept of more recently composed, because actually when you're talking with Georgians, they're, they're talking about, well, about 100, 150 years ago, aren't they? Yes, well, the maybe. More recently yes. composed. No, no, it just always makes me laugh, because Georgians yeah. talk about it in that way as well. Yes, and that, and it is lovely that there's such um, a lot of variety from the different regions of, you know, really different styles of songs, and even with different languages, which if you don't speak Georgian like I don't, you might not even be aware that they're different languages. 
but mm. you know that they are. Do you find yourself drawn to any particular region? Well, I don't know that I think I like them all in their different ways. I think you can have a bit too much of Svan songs in the end, but they're rather interesting and challenging because they're rather more different, the tuning being more particular and original. That can be shocking, but I think when you first hear it, then the Gurian ones with their complexity and, and so on. But I'm also quite drawn to, to, to learn more Kahetian ones and to try to understand how to do the um, ornamentation that they do in those songs. Mm. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think it would be boring just to be with one region. It's lovely that there's such variety. <laughs> songs do you have any really memorable teachers throughout your is it 20 or so years of singing Georgian songs I think it's 20 or so yeah I think it's about 20 years Uh, before I moved to Cambridge where I've been living for the last since 2006 I was living in the back of beyond in Suffolk and um, and I belonged to a world music choir and then a, a, a workshop was organized by Helen Chadwick who may maybe has come up on this program um, she was bringing Edisha Garaganitse over to England. I think that was when he first was coming over. And he's a, an ethnomusicologist who I think really was the, the fount of all that, the, you know, the Georgian singing that's happened in England. And he was putting on this workshop in um, Norwich. And I drove up there quite a long way and did this amazing workshop. And I just thought, wow. And I think I went up and asked him about the song. The first song we he taught me was the what I call the short smindal, which is quite a simple one. But and in, to demonstrate, he just said, "Oh, well, you know, you sing that part, I'll sing this part," and somebody else was standing there, so we immediately sang in a trio. So I got the flavour of it. Then I went home and taught a part to my daughter and forced her to sing it with me. And then when I came to to Cambridge, was looking around for choirs to join, and somebody said, "Do you realise there's a Georgian choir here?" I couldn't believe it, and it's called Cella. And they and anyway, I phoned them up and we, for some reason, they were meeting in Little St. Peter's Church for the session. So I went to the church, went in the door and there they all were. And I think they said, you know, what song do you know? And I said, well, what about Batone Bo or something? And we just immediately launched into it. And it was like, oh, I found my people. And indeed, you know, they are the core of my friendship group in Cambridge, I would say. And then it was some time later, because we, we meet every, every Sunday and still are meeting mostly on Zoom at the moment. Um, but many of the members were also part of Maspinzelli down in London. So after a bit, I thought, right, I've got to do this. So I joined Maspinzelli, I think, about 2010. And that was when I first went to Georgia um, to, to the symposium and mm-hmm. sang with the choir there. So that was my first taste which then led on to an exciting adventure with the Australian Georgian choir because they oh, were wow. going on 
they were going off to Svanetti. And I thought, well, I really ought to see a bit more of Georgia while I'm here. And those days in Svanetti, it was really basic. And, uh, you know, we were actually eating our meals in a dining room that hadn't had the, um, the, the walls built on it yet. It had a roof, but no walls and, and outside stone steps going up to this space, which was fine because at the beginning it was quite sunny. I think it was September. And then suddenly it snowed. And then we were wearing all our winter clothes and sitting what? there eating our meals, absolutely frozen. And when we had our lessons, it was in the family's main room where old Islam Pilpani was sitting by the stove. The women were coming in to cook on that stove. There was a baby asleep in a bed in the corner and we were all crammed in, you know. <laughs> oh my God, what an authentic experience. Yes, and it's, changed, and, it, and, it, and it's fun because it has changed a bit since then you know they've been able to extend and develop as have many other Georgian teachers because suddenly discovering how popular Georgian singing is with people from the west and so yeah. it's really very grand now when I go there but mm -hmm. it's fun to look back and, and compare it to how it was and that first experience which I'm glad that I had and wow. I salute you for being an intrepid solo traveler Jenny <laughs> <laughs> Because you've got similar, well, not, I'm not saying similar tales, but I mean, you also travelled to Tusheti and that's, that's no mean destination. Oh, wow. Yes, that was probably the most exciting trip that I did with a small group of um, friends from Chela and I think one from Masvinzeli and uh, Nana Mjavadznadze agreed to go with us and her son Dato. And um, he, he was about 15 then, I think. And even getting there is quite a thing because we were in a, I guess it was a four-wheel drive car, but you have to go up this long winding road up to the pass and it's unmetalled. It was, well, it was then, and there was nothing to stop you falling over the edge and you could see a few cars that had fallen over the edge, you know, and it was fine until you met somebody coming the other way, especially if you were on the side that was on the edge and there were shrines all the way up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god where you could pray for the next for safely getting up the next bit oh god. And, then, and then when we got I mean it was just a blessing that we had somebody with us who could speak Georgian you know and she would phone ahead to the various places we would stay and arrange so when they knew that we were coming they would usually light the wood fire under the boiler so there might be some hot water for a shower if you were lucky and mostly eating I think in candlelight and things although they've got a little bit of electricity from solar panels and so on and then we did a lot of walking between the different spots. And I do remember on one occasion that our luggage was carried by the local police car, <laughs> who we just were talking to the police, you know, and they said, oh, we'll take your luggage to the next place so that we could walk to it. But then <laughs> the, the, the really most wonderful thing was we were singing that Nana wanted to get the authentic words for um, the shepherd's song that was a song that we knew and had sung. And so we, the driver that we'd got took us to where these shepherds were in the far, far hills with their you know, flocks and their cattle. And we had to drive through three rivers. And then he said, look, I'm sorry, I can't drive any further. So we got out and we walked up this, you know, up this path and the river was beside us. And I remember seeing bear prints in the, in the, in the, in the mud yeah. beside the river, there were bear prints. And then as we drew near to the shepherd's encampment, which was all sort of ramshackle polythene bags over, you know, spread over whatever, very just um, rough and ready. 
the huge dogs, of course, came rushing out, woof, woof, woof. And uh, luckily, the shepherds were close behind. And Nana was able to speak to them and explain who we were and that, you know, about, about our mission. And so, of course, wherever you're, you, you can sing, because I'm sure we quickly broke into song, they welcome you in. I seem to remember I had to borrow a, a tracksuit bottom from one of the shepherds because it was rather cold <laughs> to put over my shorts. And then we were fed with cha-cha and bread and milk and cheese made from the milk because they'd got the cows. And there was a, a churn of milk and this little foal was drinking out of the, the milk churn. And we thought, oh, well, what's that? And they said, oh, well, the thing is that the mother of the foal was killed by a bear. Oh so you know, the foal is an orphan, but don't worry, we've killed the bear. And then the piece de résistance of this meal was that they went and brought out dried bear meat from the chimney that they'd been smoking. And so wow. we had that with our cha-cha and our bread and our cheese. What? This is the most crazy story I've ever heard, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Just gets well, better and better. Was this before or after you'd learnt the song that has the bear in it? Because that's that Machinos, isn't it? I can't say it properly. That, that Malkini, but the dance. Yeah, that one. I didn't. Oh, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that song at that point. But yes, I think Nana, Nana had earnest discussion about the words for the for the shepherd's song, which is the one that um, I sang with you, Susan, when we yes, went to yeah. the fundraising thing. That's yes. right, which was, yeah, in aid of Tuschetti, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, my goodness. And it sort of kind of puts context because I've, I've seen those the, those Georgian shepherd dogs. And, and if you've never seen one, I mean, they're, they're paw prints like the size of a dinner plate, aren't they? I mean, they are massive big. dogs. <laughs> and you can see why they need to be. Yes, that's right. Yes. Oh, amazing. Um, Jenny, earlier you mentioned about Georgian songs being something a bit more like like nothing else, like no other type of songs. And I wanted to ask you, why is that? I always think that Georgian singing for me is like Argentinian tango dancing, which stands out amongst dan the other dancing I do as being different and special, because in both of them there's something about having to be very tuned in to the other people in, in the in the dancing one other person in the Georgian singing two people and that you know that you can't do it on your own that if you try and sing your part in a Georgian song on your own it doesn't really make sense it only makes sense when you put it together with the other voices and that's what's so lovely about it I think and and particularly that you can have that experience of singing and really not knowing which parts you're singing, you know, that the, that it, you just become part of the whole in some way. And I find that quite transcendent. And because you get to know the other parts, really, because you've heard them. But um, yes, and that if, you, if, if one is missing, it's really quite difficult to sing your part with, with one missing because suddenly it doesn't make sense. So I love that about it, mm. that it just sort of lifts off in some way that doesn't happen with other songs. And yes, I suppose the fact that it's a very ancient tradition is, is lovely to know that it goes back a long way. And I guess that's true of, of all folk processes, isn't it? And, and we certainly come across, you know, every, every village has its own version of a song. So you've just learnt it and think, yeah, I know how to do this one. And then you sing it to another teacher and they say, oh, no, it's not like that. It's like this or whatever. So, you know, it is definitely a, an alive folk process.
What does Voices of the Ancestors mean to you? Well, I like things that continue and that go back and that one can sense going forward. So, for, in- for instance, m- my family is a singing family. My father had a whole repertoire of songs that he sang whenever we were on car journeys, and they were just things he picked up in the army from musicals. I really don't, and from his own Scottish um, family, I think. So, some of them are Scottish songs, and um, but they were just you know sung, and we all just picked them up and sang along. And so, I tried to teach those to my children. They certainly had them sung at them in the car, and so on. And I like that set, just like it's lovely to pass on pieces of furniture or, or things like that. Or indeed, in, in the garden, I think that's another way I'd compare it. Like, it's lovely to look in your garden and think, oh, yes, that plant was given to me by so-and-so. Or this is a cutting that I got from this person. So I feel like that with songs, that you also think where you learn them, where they've come from. I like that about them and, and that sense of them going back a long way. Yes. And you said before that you you sang to your... Uh, grandsons you have two I believe and yes, I, I just wonder yes. what did, what did you choose to sing to them ah oh, well <laughs> so yes my my daughter had identical twin sons so it was and they were very premature you know and that was quite difficult at the beginning I was there a lot and it just comes instinctively to me to sing to to babies and to children so I would sometimes hold, be holding both of them, one each side of my face on, on my shoulders, a great armful of babies. And, and I was just had this sense of trying to sort of put, put a vibration into them. And I actually sang that, you know, the very sort of, um, not, not, you know, the one that you, I do with you, Susan, that's mm. really like quite a powerful spell. So obviously it was only, I was actually singing the bass probably because that's the part that I sing. Mm. So it was just a sort of vibration. And I'm, sadly, like you said earlier, our podcast listeners can't see the context in which you're speaking to us, but I can see the corner of a rather grand painting. Can you tell us that that's part of your ancestry? Yes. So what you can see is a, a large portrait painted mm. by, I think, a, a great grand uncle or something like that. And it, it's of my grandmother, my father's mother, who goes by the name Lorna Margaret de Courcy Hamilton Hume. <laughs> That's a brilliant <laughs> which name. Is quite, which is quite a mouthful, but I think it is rather a wonderful name. And I did, <laughs> I did at one point after my divorce wonder whether I should drop Barrett and become de Courcy Hamilton but I thought oh no it's too much trouble <laughs> <laughs> but I quite fancy being Jenny de Courcy Hamilton oh I'm quite um, taken with that I think you might have a new name for me from now on <laughs> yes and, and, did uh, you, and did you say that that you you've had various Georgian guests in your house over the years but that had caught somebody else's eye the yes painter. Yes, well, I I did have to stay Gigi Garganitske, who's uh, Edisha's son, who led mm-hmm. the Tiebi after his death. And he came on several occasions 
to Cambridge to give mm-hmm. um, workshops to Chella. And on one happy occasion, I got to host him and a, and a couple other of the boys because I've got a few spare rooms. Mm-hmm. And somehow o- over a glass of wine or whatever, yes, he saw the, the portrait, but also I got out the family tree that my father was terribly proud of. <laughs> and at, at the top of um, the family tree, it says Rollo, first Duke of Normandy, near kinsman of William the Conqueror. So um, uh, uh, Gigi was very impressed by that and insisted on calling me princess. <laughs> <laughs> was there maybe an idea about how to learn or how to sing the songs that you got from either Edisha or Gigi? Well, I mean, with all the early learning and teaching of Georgian songs, it was always done by ear, by just listening to it. And, you know, we never had music. We sometimes, if we were lucky, got some words. Um, and that's a sad thing, that that's changing a bit with more people joining, for instance, our choir. There's quite musical people, but who are very addicted to looking at musical notation and insisting that there's got to be scores and then somebody clever will produce a score. But then you get this thing where somebody will say, oh, no, but that's not right. You're not singing it like the score. And we all know that the score is just somebody's take on how it was sung on one occasion. It's not right or wrong. or And that also it's then written with a western tuning whereas a lot of the songs the songs are sung with a Georgian tuning which is very Mm. different you know where the scale is different you know and actually you are having to push bend the notes a bit so yes I I mean even though it can be more difficult to learn just by ear and listening it it suits me really I like to learn that way and certainly that's how I remember you know he he would have taught us that way Mm. yes and sometimes, you know, afterwards to have the music, it sometimes helps just to sort of prompt your memory if, if, if a long time's gone mm-hmm. by. But on the whole, I prefer to actually have a recording of, of the teachers singing it and to hear their mm-hmm. voice. In fact, yeah, mm-hmm. Vengara that we sang that time, Susan, in mm-hmm. John Smith Square, the recording that I was using to do my part because I sang the bass was, was Gigi singing that, in fact. it to listen back to a recording of somebody that's died well it's sad isn't it but I think it is wonderful when somebody's voice is captured on a recording Mm. and I know you know it makes you think really makes you think maybe it's important to record things like that that are pleasant to listen to you know where it doesn't make people too sad to listen to them but that there you are at your best or something like that singing Mm. So it is sad. I mean, goodness me, he went before his time. It seems completely unfair. Yes. But um, but but Georgian men seem to grow up so fast, and you know they do so much even when they're so young. Is what I I feel. You know, a lot is achieved in a, in a short life. I'm always surprised when when you hear their ages that they're younger than they seem because they have a sort of presence and a confidence that probably an, an English man of the same age wouldn't have and maybe you know I think that particularly struck me when I first came across the whole supra thing and the standing up and being able to 
speak so eloquently from the heart. I'd not、mm. heard English men do that, and yet quite quite young Georgian men will be able to stand and be very poised and and express themselves.、Mm. And have you ever experienced a supra where women have where it's it's a woman's supra effectively? Most of my experiences of supras in Georgia are very often the women are a bit banished, you know, are out there doing the cooking.、Mm. But I, but I guess it's a bit different when one is with the Changelianis in Svaneti,、mm-hmm. because there that's a singing family of women, three、mm-hmm. sisters, you know. So there, it was more like a women's supra, I think. Yes, when we were talking about Tushetti earlier, I was reminded because we, we'd learnt some Tushettian songs together in order to to sing at a performance that was raising some money for、um, somebody that had travelled in in Tushetti, and that was the first time I'd heard of、um, a a ritual where at certain times of the year there's a man's supra with all the village men, but at the same time there's a women's supra with all the village women. I don't know if you remember that, but. No, yeah, I don't. So, I came across that in Thailand, actually. But I,、oh, right. they have a women's New Year and a men's New Year, but、uh, with ritual、oh, wow. dances. But no, I,、oh, I'm not、okay. sure that I came across it. Yeah. Wow, it's interesting to know that there's it, these traditions are happening in different cultures all over the world. Yes.、Mm. Yes. When I first started singing Georgian or learning Georgian songs, it was very much in England, being taught by the occasional Georgian who came over, and the groups were often mostly women learning, but women who would sing with what I would describe as a sort of I don't know a soft English voice, yeah, soft English women's voice, and were being confronted usually I think in the early days by by men teaching, who who would go. Yeah, that you know, you've got the tune now. Come on, now use your whole voice, and and the whole room really not understanding. Yes,、um, and in fact, probably one of the yeah, I mean, one of the early you know the few women we've learnt from. I mean, Magda Kevirishvili.、Um, I remember being at a、um, giving voice, I think, and I think Jenny, you were at that.、Um, yeah, you know, who's a, a small dot of a woman,、um, but still has that. In the voice, yes. somehow. Yes, yes, and and it's true that the songs, when sung in that very English way, are completely different songs. In fact, when you hear them、mm. then sung by Georgians or in that kind of a style, suddenly、mm. they take on a completely different timbre or something. You know, it's just different, isn't it? And I think that,、um, as well as the Georgian teachers coming over and showing us how to do that, that Frank Kane has been quite important. I don't、yes. know if you've talked about him on、mm. the program, but you know, as far as helping people get in touch with the different aspects of their voice,、um, and, and certainly that happened for me with Frank Kane that he did a workshop in Cambridge,、mm-hmm. and I had always sung as a soprano, assumed I'm a soprano. You can hear I've got quite a deep voice, and I think Tamta, who taught us in Maspinzeli, then、mm-hmm. had suggested to me that I could sing the bass on the Vengara that I then did with. You and Miranda,、mm. Susan, and、um, mm-hmm. I was like, I can't sing bass, you know, I'm a soprano. But and it was partly that that workshop with Frank Kane helping me to find this other part in my voice,、mm. and also with the breath control, and then discovering this note and sort of 
singing it and finding that it went on and on and on and on. When I sing in my bass voice, I've got endless breath. I don't know what it is. Wow. It just goes yeah, on and on and on. That's amazing. And Jenny, I, I, now I know you more recently and I can't imagine you without your bass voice. It's so powerful and mm. so rich. Yes, and, and within my family, you are a tradition. You are you are up there, revered, a tradition. And the story of, of you in the middle of a concert being set off on a song on not quite the note that you were expecting, and you were holding the bass part. And, oh, and as, as, a, as a group of anybody that I've shown this video to who was actually present, we were just so rooting for you because the, the notes just went down and down. Oh, and down. <laughs> we could all feel this, this the lowest note coming. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, yes. nailed it. We'll have to add that one into the uh, recording. Yes, that was a surprise even to me. To think, am I going to get there? I don't know. But yeah, so it's fun to have those different parts inside you, you know, to find you've got this sort of male bit and then I, I can still do the soprano bit. So. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, great. There's nothing lost, is there? It, no, it's just no. more, everything adds and joins up together. Mm. Oh, that's tremendous. Jenny, it's been so wonderful speaking to you today. And I feel like we've really covered so much ground. Yeah, we have, haven't we? Yes. From the tops of mountains to, to the river. <laughs> To the very low notes of Jenny's voice. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Voices of the Ancestors with Holly Taylor Zuntz and Susan Thompson. Our guest was Jenny Barrett with music by Ialoni, Mitiebi, Kimilia, Maspinzelli, the Chemgeliani sisters and Nevambi Torovi, Sahioba and Mzetamze. For more information about this and other episodes, visit voicesoftheancestors.co.uk.